Suntar ha, Suntar ha, Suntar ha, Suntar ha, Suntar ha. And welcome to the Whovian Review. I am Michael. I'm Shelby. That makes me Colin. I'm Jace, I think. And tonight we're going to talk about Series 4, Episode 4, The Centauran Stratagem, and Episode 5, The Poison Sky. Now there's two cool ties to the Colin Baker era with this episode. This is the first time we see the Centaurans since The Two Doctors, which is a Colin Baker story, and... The lead Centauran, uh, General Stahl, is played by Christopher Ryan, who was Lord Kiv in Mind Warp, which is another Colin Baker story. There. Just had to say my piece. <laughs> Centauran stratagem? <laughs> Maybe there is a stratagem here. I dare our, readers to, our uh, listeners to, you know, uh, just say that title five times fast. <laughs> yeah, it must be a tongue twister. I don't think I'll try, though. <laughs> So, Martha's back. Yes, I liked her a lot more in this one. I kind of figured you would. <laughs> she just needed a ring on her finger and, and to find a guy, and, and she's a whole different kind of person. Well, she needed to not be hung up on the dog. Right, yeah, that's a very different thing. But, you know. All right, so I loved Martha in this episode because I feel like she really grew a pair and kind of proved that she's better off without the doctor, like... When the doctor found her, she was just like a run-of-the-mill human being. But when he came back, she was just super established. And, you know, originally he wasn't happy with, like, all the guns and military men. But, you know, then it was like, I can change them. And that's when, like, you kind of, you know, were like, yeah, that's Martha. She didn't just turn into one of them. She's still, like, the product of the doctor making the world a better place, which I kind of love, you know. You don't really look at you know, companions' lives after the Doctor, but apparently they can change it significantly. Like, she was the one to call them back. And then in the second part, we see that, you know, the complexities of the relationship between the Doctor and Martha, because he knew early on that Martha was not who she said she was, and that means that, you know, their relationship was, like, a lot more intense than I kind of thought when I first watched, like, the Martha era. I just kind of felt like they were distant, she was super hung up on him, and there was nothing really there. But watching this, it's like, okay, he actually really, really did care about her. Yeah, it's not that the doctor's just so smart, which he is, but he's so emotionally connected. Like, he can know that uh, your family is much more important to you, this is not a real reaction, that's enough to, you know, keep 
this pseudo Martha in the corner uh, the whole time, and he instantly knows this isn't. And the way my he dealt with her w- was was great because he, you know, was basically like, you know, just like keeping a close eye on her. It's like, yeah, let her think she's fooling me. Yeah. So you know, I can just keep getting her to, you know, not do anything drastic. <laughs> Wow. I, I'm kind of curious, though. We're all familiar with the show The Big Bang Theory. I wonder how much of the doctor's reactions and, like, emotional, air quote, emotional responses to things are kind of Sheldon Cooper-like, because he doesn't understand social cues and emotions and all that kinds of stuff. And the doctor does, but doesn't to a certain degree. I feel like he does, but he also, like, he interacts with it in a way that is just so out of the norm. I mean, he's an alien. Yeah, and he's probably also used to multiple multiple cultures from all around the universe. So eventually he's going to get something mixed up. The mores on one planet are going to be different from the mores and the norms of society on another planet. So with every every possible choice that he's gone to in the thousand years that he's been alive at this point, you'd think probably something's going to rub off on other planets that he might might bring to earth and then go oh wait a minute that probably wasn't the greatest thing to do (laughs) yeah we've certainly seen him do it with different times definitely Uh, but yeah speaking of you know geniuses who can't interact socially let's talk about uh, Luke Radigan one of the villains of this tale oh my goodness well well, we think he's a hero you know maybe just solving climate change and all emission problems you know out of the gate but so clearly like a little is, bit insane from the start. Oh, yes, yes. I mean, In the I way that we, a genius a child might thrill. be if no was, one ever says no to them. He was bullied. And going back to the whole Big Bang Theory thing, this kind of rings true for all the main characters for that series. So this kind of makes some sense. Obviously, they didn't go nearly as insane as Luke did. But, yeah, no, I, I actually agree with that. Like, what do you do when you're just, like, a really smart dude and no one understands you make you an know. alliance with um aliens to commit genocide and have you and your 30 best friends take over the world exactly. okay but there were like three girls in that group i do not blame that girl for being like um excuse me yeah <laughs> hey hey luke had a plan it was all mapped out he thought about it he was very very clever i feel a bad reading plan nonetheless i feel oh, bad oh for my god he was just yeah. like a really smart dude who didn't fit in with anyone and someone promised him more and I think that's what it was. He yeah. he was obviously duped by the Centaurans, and so he's he's got this overwhelming urge to actually do what he think is the best for himself and maybe for humanity. When in reality, it he's lost sight of just being human in in this regard. And I think that kind of plays out quite well. And when the other students are like, wait a minute, I want to go find my mother. I want to go find my father. I want to find my sister. My brother's got Atmos installed in his car. I want to make sure he's still alive. And he, I don't think that was, that was obviously the one thing he was forgetting in all this. Yeah. I, I Made think him in, more alien than even the Centaurans almost. I think in seeing that like connection, like how he was willing to, you know, seemingly turn on his species just made it so that he, he just felt so so weak in so many ways and I, I feel like you see that you know with everybody else around him uh, you see everybody you know with a gun in their face just walking away and saying well, what are you going to do and then you see the doctor come in and just snatch a gun out of the hand and throw it across the room it's like I'm tired of this let's <laughs> just stop it in a lot of ways undoctor like I mean the hate and the motivations are very clear but <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, I guess at that point, Luke was quite obviously not going to shoot anyone, and the doctor could pick that up in a heartbeat. Exactly. There's that uh, emotional connection. I mean, we're also, like, undermining how, like, I guess human he felt towards the end, because it was pure emotion that we're like, I am going to kill myself because I deserve it. I didn't think that that was... No, what I think he's happening. Yeah, I think he took the words that the doctor said, saying, "Do something uh, brilliant or clever and, with your life." And, and he recognized the doctor's importance and the doctor's importance to the Centaurans, and was like, "You know what? I can, you know, ruin all of their plans like they ruined, you know, my life." And you know, this is, you know, this is worth it. This is the clever thing I can do. This planet was never big enough for me anyway. Yeah, I mean, some yeah. even if you can't respect him, you feel for him near the end when, like, he realizes the tragedy of his mistake and almost, like, what he's done. Like, if he does go on living his life in a clever way as much as he can here, that, that hangs over him forever. That's probably the most significant impact he'll have on the world. And, and in this case, he goes and he faces, you know, what, what really he did. And he takes the doctor's place, saves his life. Feasibly, and, and he might know that the doctor would be a little bit more clever. Yeah. yeah, and also, uh, one of the things I wanted to point out was that I think he saw in the doctor a hero. The doctor was going to go sacrifice himself for all of humanity. And he saw someone he could actually respect because he knew that the doctor was at least as smart as him, which is an important yes. thing for well, him. Well, more smart. He, well, yeah, he but who knows if Luke admitted that. That, that <laughs> move by the doctors, that's true strength. That's a, dr- a boss move to say, you know, like, yeah, I could remote it in. Yeah, we could take care of them, you know, however. But I'm going there to sacrifice myself because I'm going to give them a choice, even though I know the answer. Yeah, the Doctor's characterization in this is very, very similar to a lot of uh, classic Doctor Who. As a matter of fact, I will point out that this story does have a very third Doctor era feel to it, mostly because you've got unit soldiers running all over the place. And the Doctor's stuck on Earth for a period. Yeah, the Doctor is stuck on Earth. He doesn't have his TARDIS that he can go gallivanting around the universe in. But also, he's got there's a Brigadier-like character, and Martha kind of takes on the uh, Liz Shaw kind of character, and you've got a second-in-command that ends up kissing the... the uh, the general was it? I forget. I forget which what rank he was. Colonel, sorry, Colonel Mace. So I mean, you've got you've got a basic unit soldier like atmosphere throughout the f- full two episodes, and and a lot of the interactions that the Doctor has with them, trying to get them to stop fighting the Centaurans, which is the exact opposite of what you want to do, because the Centaurans have the upper hand. Um, at least in this case, because. Colonel Mace is very loyal to humanity. He is able to show that he does have some smarts and is able to bring down the Valiant and and kind of clear the air and then actually figure out a way to solve the problem of, of allowing his guns to work again so they can defend Earth. So there, there's a lot of this play with unit and, and, and kind of very Brigadier-like moment. Even though Nicholas Courtney wasn't in this, his spirit was definitely there. Yeah, but there was also... There was not the same connection between the Doctor and and the Colonels. There was oh, like, right from the not. beginning with the Doctor and the Brigadier. I mean, oh yeah. Totally. Granted, the Brigadier instantly trusted him because it was the practical thing to do. But 
he did. He instantly trusted him and they worked together and they both very much differed, but they had a mutual respect. Whereas here, the doctor was pretty clear about having zero respect for this guy. Well, and he didn't really listen to the doctor. Yeah, he didn't really. Yeah, he like pretended to have respect for the doctor. But but again, that's the point is that it's not the brigadier. This is another character. So you have to deal with yet another military officer in a much different way. But I think, I mean, in, in my case, I actually ended up liking Colonel Mace in the end. Yes, he was definitely stubborn, definitely militaristic, like everybody seemed to be pointing out. But he actually was useful in solving the issues. And he problems. was a good guy. Yeah, he was a good guy. He actually uh, had Earth in his sights, so. <laughs> All right, let's talk about Donna. Okay. How noble. She was fantastic in this episode, in these two episodes for like so many reasons. There was like the whole thing where she and the doctor were interacting where she's like, oh yeah, I've got to go home. And he like, is like, it does this big goodbye speech and then realizes she just means like to visit. And, um, <laughs> yeah. and then like seeing her and interacting with Wilf, which I feel like is a whole other topic we'll get into on this. Um, and then like, when she's in the TARDIS and stuck on the ship and the doctor's like, I need you to go do this thing. She has like such a realistic reaction to it of just being like, there is a terrifying alien out there. It's going to kill me. Are you crazy? I can't go out there. And like having to be talked through it because like, let's be real as brave as we all like feel like we'd be, we'd probably feel a little bit more like that the first time around. <laughs> probably oh, a yeah. lot worse. <laughs> Oh, man, I don't think I could go in and, and whack, you know, a centaur in the back of the head with a hammer just straight out of the TARDIS. I hope I'd have that courage. Um, well, I think Donna displays it quite nicely here, but also it's kind of cute seeing her little celebration when she realizes she can do it. And that, and I think that empowered her to continue on with throughout the centaur and spaceship quite nicely. But she was still too insecure to accept any of the doctor's compliments along the way, which is a running theme for Donna. Well, that's Donna Noble. But it, yeah, it is. It's that, you know, <laughs> but she manages to still be brave and amazing and, you know, everything. <laughs> I love the part where she forgets that, that she actually has three fingers on her hand. <laughs> <laughs> and then she proceeds to use five to open the door. <laughs> she does the full Vulcan, you know? Yeah, that was a good... Uh, Star Trek nod there. I think I think Donna is kind of the um, the one that probably is most relatable to in, in these two stories too, because she has family at home. She's got to go back to them. She's she's worried about them. And granted, you've got a nagging mother who she loves dearly, but also wants to escape from it. She's probably one of the driving factors for her to go off with the doctor in the first place. And that's a realistic relationship too. That's a very realistic relationship. And I love that in, in this season. Um, and then you've got Wilf, the, oh, the grandfather who is probably the spoiler. Uh, and he's definitely a, a spoiler for Donna. He spoils her rotten probably, but he, but he's got, Bernard Cribbins, who plays Wilf, has this gleeful, childlike, yeah, likability that just is so magical. What a presence. Yeah, I mean... Oh my god, he should play Santa Claus. (laughs) (laughs) He could play... Is he not? He could play any any kind of role in that (laughs) manner. And we'd all love him for it. 
I mean, he just has, and he also has that gleam in his eye. Oh, when yeah. he tells Donna, just you, you keep doing what you're doing. Don't worry about your mother. I'll take care of her. Go see the stars. Just and and seeing the stars is like his dream, and he's just so genuinely happy for her to have it and to be realizing it and to just be able to experience a piece of it through her. And he just loves her so much and is so, you know, wonderful. And I love that openness from the start that you, we don't see with a lot of other, you know, companions, too. Just, like, other people in their lives, like, oh, yeah, I'm out and about exploring the universe, Grandpa. <laughs> you know, it's, it's nice to have that homeward connection to really know and have an understanding about what's going on, but feel that excitement with you and for you rather than as a kind of worried antagonist role. This is this is a really great Although spin. Oh, they are keeping it from the mother, Sylvia. Right, Sylvia. Yeah, I think and, for and maybe good with maybe with good reason. Yeah, I mean, yeah. we probably should have kept it from Rose's mom a little longer. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think of Will, Jace? I thought he was just an adorable old man with like such a childish kind of like love for like wonder and space and you know mm-hmm. just everything. I thought he was just like super pure. And I think I said during watching it that I would like give my life for this movie. He was just so adorable, so loving. He's such an important part to, like, the Donna era for me. Definitely. We're going to be okay. Donna said it so. More or less a quote. Definitely. Very powerful. Um, so the plot line for this, um, with the atmosphere uh, in the cars actually polluting the whole planet Earth and whatnot, did you find that realistic? Did you find it a little ridiculous? I thought it was interesting how, like, most of it was just like, oh, something's going on. There's a genius involved. There are the Centaurans. Also, they're going to clone the whole world. But also, let's forget about that and just move on. Yeah, can we go back to, like, the Centaurans for, for a moment? Like, focus on them? Like, this is their comeback at New Who, right? Yes. Oh, yeah. They come back onto the scene, you know, throwing toxic gas in the air, at least having a plan to. And meanwhile, they're... They're, like, doing some mind control uh, tricks on humans or, you know, making human clones and labs to, you know... Right, and, you know, what's interesting about that is that, you know, the whole mind control type of uh, thing is really more of a Rutan move, and the Rutans are the ones the Centaurans have been fighting this whole time. Just to give a little... Just to give a little background on the Rutans, the Rutans are shapeshifters. They are usually gl- glowing green orbs that go along, but they can actually change into any any creature that they have come in contact with. So if they kill especially if they kill them, they can take that form and whatnot. So that's kind of a, a cool deceptive um, move in, in the Rutans thing. Zygon esque. Yes. I was thinking about those one that one episode in Star Trek. I think it was like the second or third episode of the classic where they had that one woman on that planet who like shapeshifted into anything, manipulating everyone around her. Yep. Same exact energy. Yep. So yeah, so that's the Rutans, but and there is a classic story that had the Rutans. As a matter of fact, I think they're due to come back in New Who. Personally. I was gonna say how why haven't they not come back? Like we have Strax over here just walking around, Mr. Little Potato with no like background on like no, what his people he, do. Well, he he's got a lot of Strax actually has a decent amount of backstory, but okay, yeah, I probably did. I haven't been paying attention. Um, no, but actually, uh, the Rutan, Rutans, Rutan, Rutans, Rutan. Rutan. Mm-hmm. um, 
and the Sontarans came back in a Doctor Who video game that is considered canon, um, where mm-hmm. the eleventh Doctor Matt Smith helps them to basically come to this conclusion where he like essentially gives them this uh, bomb that you know if they like like there are two bombs and like if you click one of them it'll destroy one of the two races but you don't know which one it would be it'll either destroy all the centaurs or all the rutans and then like life with the zygons yeah but this actually came first and then they kind of ah uh, that's okay um and so like it ended up becoming a stalemate and so the war kind of ended at that point wow finally <laughs> so he did it because he knew it worked makes sense but yeah, it, it, this is the Santarin's glorious uh, <laughs> battle cry back in. I I will say that the the makeup and the and the faces that they created for this and so much better <laughs> are really good looking. Well, to be fair, for the Santarins in the classic series, they actually looked decent. They were one of the more decent looking. Oh, creatures. That, that is true. And to be fair. I, I don't know about the Centauran appearance. I, I think this, uh, Jace put it well by doing like the potato head uh, connection. I, I think it's enough to not take them seriously. When they're a meta- menacing force that is a big strategic mind, but also nearly invincible with their armor, super-powered laser weaponry, um, really one spot that could do some damage uh, that they're pretty protective about, I mean, they they really should, I feel like, have a much more commanding, terrifying presence. And in some ways, taking the mask eliminates, I think, some of that fear in me. Well, actually, I kind of feel like that's a little bit the Centaurans' role. Like, every time they show up, even when they're doing something epic, it's still a little bit like, but they're Centaurans, look at them. You know, type of feel to it. Like, there's always, like, a little bit, like, it's never as serious as facing the Cybermen or the Daleks or anything. Right, you know, but so it, it kind of like, should be, you know? They're, I, they're always I, just commanding in a lot of ways. I mean, the very first few outings that we have with the They stole TARDIS! The very first few Centauran outings that we had in the classic series, though, we did have a level of seriousness. And because they were, I mean, basically in the Centauran experiment with the Fourth Doctor, um you have a Centaurian that's just literally doing all these experiments on humans and making them and torturing them, basically. And, yeah, but that's like exactly what the Rani does. I know, but what I'm saying is that it there was at least some level of seriousness when it came to the Centaurans in the classic series. I think when you get to newer Who, I think the their shape and their look are obviously kind of made fun of or mocked a little bit more, especially with the whole potato thing, especially, and and especially when you get to the Matt Smith era, because then you've got Strax and Strax kind of changes the whole entire Centauran um, race. Yeah. The vibe. Uh, Thank you very much. And yeah, it's completely different with, with, with Strax and, and it does kind of undermine the, the power and the might of a of the Centaurans in general, because they are a clone army that all they are all they're bred for is basically war. That's yeah. all they know. War or, or breeding. They, they were coming here for breeding. This was mostly sport, well, they, but not they, war. They were coming to, to create more soldiers. Yes. <laughs> create right. billions of soldiers. Right. Through cloning. Breed for war. Clone for war. <laughs> yeah. Clone and war. I mean, it was still war-centric is what I was getting at. But it's nice seeing... It's nice later on seeing Strax become have a different role, being a nurse or whatever you want to call him, or a butler. 
He yeah. was he started off as a nurse and then he became a butler. To actually uh, make up, like he says, it's to restore the honor of his clone batch, and it's actually one of the Centaurans from this story that uh, was the original one that he's trying to restore the honor of. It's the second in command guy, Stall. Stall, the one who's like no wait, or no, the, no, it was like Score. Yeah, and you're right, just Score. Like, uh, you know, oh, this is. Sport and you funny know, you said, mentioned that because Dan Starkey, who plays Strax, spoilers. Dan's well, Dan Starkey, who plays Strax, actually was the one who played Score, so it makes yeah. sense that that's the per- that's the one he was. Well, I mean that that's when, like, one of I mean, his, one of his cloned. Well, matches. okay, I guess I'm assuming that that's what he's restoring the honor for because it's the same actor. <laughs> right? Yeah, that would make sense. <laughs> I've always wondered about, though because we do have. Some Centaurans that look different from other Centaurans. Well, yeah, but they've got different sets of clones, like, you know, they're yeah. not all cloned off the same one. They're maybe yeah. cloned off of a whole bunch of different ones, but then, like, those ones keep getting cloned. Yeah, and even if you're genetically the same, epigenetics plays a big factor where your environment affects how the genes go over time, you know. Who knows that someone has a little bit more bread or slept a little bit closer to the windows on the ship. Yeah, things happen. Different interaction effects throw in. I'd like to bring up Ross as, as a character. He's one of the soldiers that actually goes off with the Doctor and actually becomes extremely loyal. He becomes like the Sergeant Benton of this story. Very much and, so. And unfortunately, he ends up passing away, and I thought that was a very well-done thing, was that they, they took a character we actually cared about and liked and then had a moment for him, um, an, an unfortunate moment for him. But it, it gave a little bit – again, this story really kind of works on what it, what it is to be human. And sometimes it's the humans that aren't as human in stories like this. But in this case, I think we're, we're doing a little bit better. I thought it was more about what it's like to be Centaur <laughs> personally. But I guess it's just a matter of perspective. <laughs> Any other last-minute thoughts? I thought the thing with the um, GPS where, like, the car wanted to drive them into the lake and the doctor was like, oh, you're going to disobey on my – you're going to ignore everything I'm saying. Oh, well, I tell you to to drive into the lake. Well, it's like, well, first of all, that's not what the word ignore means. That's – you know, it's not like it's disobeying you. If it ignores you, it doesn't matter what you say. And then second of all, like, that doesn't make any sense. Like, it would have made more sense for the car to have been programmed to drive into the lake – regardless of what you say, not disobey every order you give it. And that just seems like they just didn't want to do the stunt to have, you know, the two actors jump out of the car and they just kind of seemed like a cop out there. Um, I thought that with the fire, you know, burning up the atmosphere and stuff seemed like to some extent, like plausible that it wouldn't destroy everything. But then it was really I mean, even if most people would survive, you lit up the whole sky for quite some time. Just seeing that aerial view. Yeah, and you could see it was like intersecting with skyscrapers, too. Yeah, I'm wondering how they didn't catch on fire. Yeah, Yeah, it it seemed to make everything better. You know, the birds were chirping. Well, also that it doesn't make sense. Well, I guess it might make sense uh, because I'm not sure where the whether the the fireball was supposed to be enveloping the smoke and smog or whether it was supposed to be taking over the entire atmosphere to clear it. I thought it was supposed to excite the atmosphere and had nothing to do with what was below it. 
Well, yeah, but I mean, like when we saw it, it was like touching the tops of buildings. And right, stuff. that's what I'm saying. Is that yeah. it should have been a lot higher. Oh, yeah, it was. Yeah, for they were exciting in the yeah. atmosphere. Exactly. That's what I thought, but I don't know. Maybe I think the there, special effects guys didn't get the message. <laughs> Maybe not. I think there was a li- definitely some cheese factor with this episode too. Um, yeah. Oh my god, when the doctor's just like, "Are you my mummy?" <laughs> oh, that was delicious cheese though. I would <laughs> eat that up with a spoon I once think that again. Was, you had to bring up the, in that reference. Yeah, that was actually good. Uh, yeah, I'm going to call so that bad. humor. <laughs> oh no. Well, I think it's time to rate this two-parter, and I guess we'll try and rate the first episode, then the second, and then combine our scores and come to an average. Oh, man, that's ambitious. What can I say that hasn't been said? Um, so this is, these were good episodes, all in all. I think it was a good arc. Um, I, I think the first set up a lot of great things. We had Martha and Donna, the intersection. We see Donna coming back. Or I'm sorry, Martha coming back into the picture after spending time away from the TARDIS, clearly growing for it, making a name for herself on planet Earth, uh, really being its savior, and uh, looping in the Doctor back in the mix to um, help with this pressing problem um, that is the um, appearance of the Centaurans. Um, and of course, you know, the, the Atmos situation as well. So I think it was a, a great setup, and I, I loved, you know, seeing Donna and her family and, and Wilf in it at the beginning this was this was a good setup but you know I, I think there were other parts that were lacking there there certainly is a general cheese factor uh you know to some of it like that i addressed before hard to take the centaur seriously at some points even though they are a menacing force um i love the way that they uh brought in you know these kind of like mind control elements and like the creepy um uh embryonic you know growth into the water um but I don't know. There's just a few things that uh, fall short for me. I, I give this first one about a 7 out of 10. Coming into the second episode, um, I think they picked it up well. Um, I think they the stealing the TARDIS really got the message across. This is a menacing uh, force, and it really upped the ante. And seeing the Doctor pick up in, in the whole situation, you know, with the, the fake Martha coming around, and making a, a conclusion I thought was great and brilliant that the doctor, you know, had it under his thumb the whole the whole time. He knew this wasn't his friend. Um, and I, I liked, you know, the this, the little bit of a redemption that we have for Radigan at the very end. Um, but also his arc, too, is kind of cringy to watch at some points, but I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, for me, the second episode is going to get a 7.5 out of 10. Um, and, you know, I'm not going to do the quarter point thing. I think, you know, this is a, a case where the, the ending makes it a really solidified story. I'm going to give the whole arc a 7.5 out of 10. So as far as the first part goes, I'm probably going to give it a 7. Is that accurate? You know what? I'll give it a 7.5. Because they had two companions in one episode, and I thought both of them were absolutely incredible. Um, I admired Martha for the way she left the last episode being like, I need to go back and do my duty as a human person on planet Earth. And we came back, she did exactly what she said she'd be doing. She made Earth, or is attempting to make Earth better. Then we see Donna come in and she's just like a force to be reckoned with. And initially I thought it was funny how the doctor thought they would like argue or not get along and they were both just like 
super strong forces together, which I thought was really cool. Um, so just that whole like companion on companion on doctor kind of dynamic was super exciting to me. I thought it was done super well. That's what made the episode for me. Um, as far as um, the second episode goes, I kind of like the Suntarans. Not that they're bad or anything. I just think that they're kind of just like very, very, very knockoff of Daleks where it's just like they're just supposed to be like bred for war but they're just kind of like a mean version of that. <laughs> I mean, it's just like they're funny. They're little like things that are just, you know, I don't know. I thought that was funny. I thought it was cool. I like the whole like genius, genius idea and how he literally ended up taking his life at the end of it because he realized that's what, you know, people like, not him do, but that's what it means to be like a hero, you know? It helps to think that, you know, it was all your fault to begin with. But anyways, I think I'll give that one an 8. I thought it was really cool as far as the characters go. I thought it wasn't too serious, but kind of silly because the Centaurians are kind of laughable. But also kind of quite terrifying. I mean, they almost they almost got away with it, but also they really didn't. But I admired the, you know, the plot, their ideas, the way they went about things. It just confused the Doctor for a long time, and I like that about them. But yeah. Oh. And uh, together? Oh, together. Um, probably an eight. All right. Yeah, I um, I really enjoyed both of these. I thought that really the companions uh, shown in this, you know, I thought that the plot was, you know, overall a little slow. Like, well, not slow, but like there wasn't a whole lot to it, despite there being, you know, a lot of characters involved. <laughs> But I thought overall it was good. It made sense, and uh, it was uh, it was very interesting throughout. And I think it was mostly a character piece. I feel like uh, even the even Luke Radigan I thought was a great had a great uh, run of it. Just watching him go a little crazy every time you know the doctor corrected his grammar or you know something like that was uh, pretty excellent as well. Um, I, I liked the Centaurans, but yeah, I think that, uh, Jace's categorization of them as being knockoff Daleks is pretty spot on. Uh, I think that I actually felt about the same about both of these, so I'm going to give them both and together a 7.5. Boy, you guys are all rating it almost the same here. <laughs> well, I mean, it was a pretty, like, they're all good. That's awesome. However, it didn't like make me want to like jump out this window and scream at the top of my lungs like, yay, who? Is that what you're <laughs> doing or excited? You know what? Sometimes, you know, you get excited and you have to express it in certain ways. Plus, for a two-part story, there was a cliffhanger. Like, like big time. Like, who does yeah. that? Come on. That wasn't a wrap-up of a... <laughs> Wilf, Wilf is almost about to die there. That was actually yeah. a good... That was a good cliffhanger. Oh, yeah. And when Sylvia saved him, she's just like, what are you guys doing? <laughs> yeah, we kind of forgot that part. Yeah. Um, I think for me, the clone, the clone idea with regards to Martha was a little bit thrown in there. It seemed like they probably needed to add something to it because it didn't really make much sense to me why the Centaurans would go to such great lengths to just throw in a clone if they could just probably beam down there and probably do the things themselves after they've eradicated all the humans. But I don't know. Just that seemed to be a little bit weird. Um, I like the subtle hints of pollution and what we need to do with cars. Um, 
this is how you're supposed to, I think, bring political ideas into a story. Now, going back to the third Doctor era again, they always brought in political ideas, but they did it in a way that wasn't shoving it down your throat with extra dialogue that wasn't necessary to explain why like you were season. why it was why mm-hmm. you were talking about pollution. It was more just that was part of the concept of this episode. So unlike the Chibnall area <laughs> era, it this this actually worked I think much better in that regards. Um, very third Doctor, I, I love the throwbacks to previous Doctor Who stories um, throughout. I like the idea of having Donna, Martha, and the and the tenth Doctor. It's one of the few times where you've got more than one companion where it actually works out quite well. Um, and. I would have to say, for the first part, I would probably give it a 6.5 because um, typically in New Doctor Who, you usually have a great first part and then the second part kind of ends in a way that you're just like, huh? But in this case, it was one of the few times where, the for me, the second part was actually a little bit stronger than the first part. So I'm actually going to give a 7.5 to the second part giving this all basic seven um, for the whole story. Because I think um, even though it did set it up oh, relatively well, um, I just felt like there's a lot more happening in the second part. Um, and it just seemed more action-y. And just, it had held my interest a lot more. So there you have it. So seven for the whole thing. And there, that's a wrap. We, you didn't rate too differently from us either. I know. I, I really couldn't. I know, Mr. Complainer. I know. It's been so critical it for, like, no reason. No, I just was pointing it out that it was just kind of interesting that we were like, all just oh, like, okay, wow, yeah, we all like this. You guys did this thing. <laughs> now let me do it, too. <laughs> I wasn't thinking that at all, but okay. <laughs> I want to touch base on your cloning comment real quick. Oh, go ahead. I mean, I understand that the whole cloning concept was kind of out of touch, but it was also in touch. I mean, that was the overall goal, but I mean, the idea could have been like, let's clone someone that matters, so that way we can spy on everyone. Right. Well, I mean, it was just the fact that they cloned one person. I mean, if they're going to clone people to get in, to infiltrate no, Earth... No, they, they cloned at least three people. Well... You know, no, they took over two people. Oh, oh they, right. they, I think they took them over. But I mean, I they were clearly already, you know, making other other bodies for people. I don't, I don't know if we saw them, but it, it seemed like they had done it before. Yeah. Well, it just okay. Yeah, I but know. Yeah, it's a we clone could have race. just like taken it away from the story. It wasn't really adding in much. No, I, mean, I, I, oh. I think what it came down to is that this story should have been an episode and a half long, but they couldn't do they couldn't fit it all into like one episode without it feeling rushed so they decided to expand it into two episodes and in order to do that they had to put in some stuff with martha and the cloning thing and they were also probably going oof well we want to bring martha back in for this but like we need her to do something uh the centaurians do something to her she's also a medical doctor so she didn't actually try to save the clone she just told the clone oh you're you're dead and and that was a little bit out of character for Martha because normally she, I mean, even though she knows that that's her, so to speak, I think that there would be at least some level of Martha wanting to try and help her, trying no. to check something. No, she just needed to get her ring back and move on with her life. <laughs> I mean, she did hear the, the doctor say, you know, 
Martha's, you know, all that was keeping you alive. Right. So she was probably like, well, the doctor says there's nothing we can do, so there's nothing we can do. True, true. But I just, the doctor. But you're right. It's, defi- it's definitely unlike Yeah, I, I think the value of, you know, bringing in the Martha clone was really just so the doctor can say, like, I knew she was a clone, and I was dealing with this stuff the whole time, and you didn't even know about it. Well, I also liked the other line he had earlier about it where he's just like, oh, yeah, she's not like you. She's not a soldier. Mm-hmm. Wow. All the little, like, stabs he threw at, you know, her the entire time. Mm-hmm. Well, at any rate, well, if you want to send us a message, you can send us a message through Facebook. I dare you. Good night, everyone. Bye. See ya. Good night. Ciao.